0: Open in your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. Hebrews, chapter 6. And ready or not, here we go with the continuation of what we began on Sunday morning. Talking about being covenant-minded. Learning how to be a covenant-minded believer. Gaining light and understanding about what a covenant mindset looks like. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I'm uh, I'm so glad to be born an American. I am so thankful. With still today, with all of our nation's great flaws and all the weird stuff going on, I'm still glad to be an American, and I love our nation. And uh, there's so much I appreciate about you know that go west young man, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm an independent-minded. Bless God. I'm an American. I've got my rights. I've got my privileges. You can't do that to me. Nobody's going to tell me. Well, okay. There might be some settings where that's a, a good thing. But we who have grown up in a Western culture, and that's all of us except Kamal, <laughs> when it comes to really understanding the kingdom of God and covenant thinking and covenant mindset growing up and as american and western culture we are greatly hindered we we were not we we really raised to think totally opposite of a covenant mindset and uh you know you know wild wild west we just disagree we'll just see who's got the fastest six shooter and you know wh- whoever's standing wins you know and uh but um you know the kingdom of god is not a democracy And people take this democratic mindset. Well, I have a vote, and I have a voice into the kingdom of God. And I would say to you that thinks like that, give me scripture for that. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. The kingdom of God is a theocracy. And God himself sits at the top. He is the supreme leader and authority in the church in the body of Christ, and He has chosen and seen fit to delegate all of the administration of the church to His Son Jesus. Jesus is our King. He is our Lord. He is the CFO, the CEO. He is the head honcho in the body of Christ. And the Bible says in Ephesians that when He ascended up on high, that He gave gifts unto men, unto all men. All men. But some of those gifts that he gave are special gifts, if you will. We call them five-fold offices. It says there that he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why did he give them? He gave them for the perfecting or for the maturing of the saints that they might do the work of the ministry. He gave those ministry gifts that the believers might be equipped, that they might uh, grow up, that they might no longer be tossed to and fro like children. Uh, that they might not be caught up with the cunning craftiness and deceit you know the deceitfulness of men and all of the things that it says there in Ephesians amen? amen and and on down it goes now every member of the body of Christ we all every child of God is equal in God's eyes in value God values us all the same and he loves us all the same amen But we do not all have the same rank. Neither do we all have the same anointing. And we need to recognize that. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, don't let me get ahead of myself here. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, notice what it says. I'm going to go ahead and just read it from the the Amplified, save a second or two of time. It says there, Let us therefore go on and get past the elementary stage in the teachings and doctrines of Christ. Um, Some translations say, let us go on into perfection. That doesn't mean that we turn our back and forsake the elementary, basic, foundational doctrines. Never, never, never. But what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that we need to get these elementary Christian truths laid down in our lives... That the foundation is set and firm and then get past it. There, there are further things that God wants us to come into. I could say it this way. God does not want us to stay spiritually immature. God does not want us to stay spiritual babies. But He wants us to grow up. Why don't you say that out loud make sure you're not asleep by the rain here. Say, God wants, me God wants me to grow up, to grow up. And, I'm and I'm not there yet. Okay, praise God. So this is, let us go on and get past the elementary stage in the teaching and doctrine of Christ the Messiah. I like this, advancing steadily. Now you need to, you know, not judge me or your brother, your sister, your wife, whatever. But how about you? Could you say honestly of yourself that you are advancing steadily? toward the completeness and perfection that belongs to spiritual maturity. Amen. Go back to the left of 1 Timothy, chapter 3. 1 Timothy, chapter 3. And again, like I said Sunday, I'm endeavoring to just share with you, frankly, some things from my heart, as God would lead me and direct me, in in hopes that you would... uh, more fully think like I'm thinking. Now, I'm not saying that I'm thinking perfect and right about these things, but I've come for peace, amen, from where I once was. Glory to God. And, uh, and it's not to hamstring your life, uh, amen. It's not to hinder you in any way, but it'll bless you. It'll make you stronger. It'll make you safer, it'll make you more biblical, amen. The devil will have less inroad in your life if you'll gain ground in these, in these things. So, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says to Timothy, But if I tarry long, he said, Now I'm writing these things to you, but if I tarry long or if I am delayed, I love this scripture, that you may know how you oughtest to behave. I love this in the King James that you oughtest to behave thyself. I thought today that that would make a great title. Behave thyself. Amen. Glory to God that you might know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. So, this tells us right here, without any further knowledge or instruction, that there's a way to behave. Well if there's a way to behave, there's a way not to behave. And so this whole idea of whatever I want goes, whatever whatever, you know, we can just come to church and it be the wild wild west and there's no structure, there's no authority, there's no protocol. There's no standards of conduct that we're to be held to is wrong. That I've blessed that organization, I've blessed that preacher, they get to count me on their tenants, they ought to be glad I gave a few dollars and bless God, you know, because there's a lot of places on this Sunday morning I could be. Well, see, that's just low-level carnal thinking. That's not kingdom thinking. And I know those of us in this room, we're, we're beyond that. Uh, some other translations of that phrase uh, says, one translation says, how things ought to go. So the, remember, the Holy Ghost is moving on Paul and Paul. It's not just Paul. The Holy Ghost is moved upon Paul, breathed upon Paul to write these words. And he said that there is a way that things ought to go in the house of God. Y'all. Yeah. Many other translations use the word how to conduct yourself. Well, are you interested in learning how to conduct yourself? You know, one of the things Dr. Dufresne used to tell us, he used to say, be careful. Not to become a yoke in your church. Don't become a yoke to your pastor. Don't become a yoke to the man of God. Why? Because the anointing breaks the yoke. Yes. See, a lot of people, they start getting uppity in a church. You know what I mean by that expression? They start getting critical. They start getting opinionated. They start, they start evaluating the decisions of leadership. And, they, and they've got it in their mind that if, if the pastor would just listen to them and structure everything and do everything and do what they want to do, right and and really and they they end up you know blowing a gasket and leaving the church and they think it's their idea they think they're doing what they want to do when really they don't realize that they're under a satanic strategy and they have become a yoke to their pastor and the anointing is at work moving them out the bible says that we should touch not God's anointed and that we should do his prophets no harm amen Praise God. Now, we should do none of our brothers or sisters harm. Amen? So anyway, I like this scripture. I brought this scripture here to tell us all, to show us all, that there is a way that we should conduct ourselves in church. And therefore, by definition, there is a way not to. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, uh, let me do this. Let me lay this down. Go to Psalm 115. We'll look at two scriptures in Psalms here. I made this statement Sunday, and I quoted the verse, but we didn't have time to look at it. In Psalm 115 and verse 5. Now you need to know this about the God you serve. God is a covenant-minded God. He doesn't do anything except on the basis of a covenant. He doesn't deal with you at all. He wouldn't even hear your voice. You would not have an audience with Him if it were not for the covenant, that there is a covenant. Amen. You know, in in, in typical, real serious covenants are blood covenants. Remember when we hold up the cup of communion, it is there as an age-long reminder that we're in a covenant. Jesus held up that cup after He had broken the bread. And he was just about to go to the cross. Amen? Just hours from then. And he said, take of this cup. And they passed the cup around. They each drank from it. No doubt it was a red wine. And and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant that is sh- symbolic of the blood that he would soon shed. And he, and he has since, of course, shed that blood. That blood's on the mercy seat. Had he sh- not shed that blood, made that agreement with God, sealed that covenant, you and I would have no approach to God. He would not be our Father. We would still be doomed, children of the devil, and hell bound. The only way we have a way into God is because of this covenant that God struck. God the Father, really we're in a covenant, folded into God is a genius. Every covenant God made with man, man broke. And so here's God's dilemma. He's got to figure out how to make a covenant with a man that man will not break. So he made his own son a man. He sent Jesus down there and he was born of Mary. He was fully God, but he was fully man. And so God struck a covenant with Jesus, the man. He is the mediator between God and man. The mediator of the new covenant. Amen. And so God makes this covenant with the man, Jesus. And Jesus sealed that covenant with his own blood. Hallelujah. And then the genius of God is, is that he folds all of us who receive Jesus into that covenant by putting us in Christ. And we can't break the covenant because the covenant really isn't between us and God. It's between Christ and God and we are in Christ. Are you with me? The Bible says in Galatians 3.29 that if you, are the, uh, if you are in Christ, if any man be in Christ, he is the seed of Abraham and therefore heirs according to the covenant. So when we exercise faith in Jesus, the, the old Chris, the sin-dominated Chris, dies. The Holy Spirit comes in and recreates my spirit, and now my life is hidden away in Christ in God. I am in Christ. And so everything that Jesus and God the Father accomplished in that covenant, I now have a right in the name of Jesus through adoption and sonship, to lay claim to the blessings and privileges that Jesus won for us in that covenant apart from my own merit. I just say, Father, I'm in Christ and He won healing, so I'll take healing. He won prosperity, so I'll take prosperity. He won my forgiveness, so I'll take that forgiveness. Thank you very much. And then when we sin and fail, we don't break the covenant, we're not cut off because the covenant really wasn't cut between us and God. It was in Christ and God. Do you see that? So God is covenant-minded, covenant-thinking. So Psalm 115, verse 5. Psalm 115, verse 5. <clears throat> excuse me, says, oh, let me see. That doesn't look right. Hallelujah. Let me find my reference. I may have typed it in wrong. I may, be, may have pulled a Pastor Nancy. I'm blame it on her. Well, it's in, it's in the Bible there somewhere. It says, He has given food to those who fear Him. He will be ever mindful of His covenant. It's Psalm 115, and um, it's further down in the chapter. What's that? I didn't hear you. 111, verse 5. Okay, so I gave you the wrong Psalm. I got you in the right book of the Bible. Come on. Yeah, Psalm 111, in verse 5. You see it? All right, we're on the same page. And he gave meat unto them that fear him. He will be ever mindful of his covenant. Go back to Psalm 89. Psalm 89. We'll see if I did better in Psalm 89. What does it God say? God is always constantly mindful of his covenant. What's God going to do for you? Only what's spelled out in the covenant. That's why you need to be in the word. You'll find out what's written in the covenant, what's available, what, what God has done for us. Verse number 34. Praise God. So God says, My covenant will I not break, neither will I alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. So He's not going to change it. Amen? He's not going to change it. And He's, he's never going to break it. We can count on Him. We can count on Him. Amen. See, the reason God brought us into a covenant is because He wants us to have a strong consolation. He wants us to have an unwavering confidence that what God said He will do, He will do. Amen. When you understand covenant, you realize God must. Does yeah. yeah. it revolutionize your thinking, your approach to prayer? See, I'm I don't like symptoms of things that I've dealt with, but I'm not nervous about anything because I'm rooted in the knowledge that God must heal me. Because it's part of the covenant. The Bible says that healing is the children's bread and I'm his child. I'm going to eat that bread. God doesn't have a choice to heal my body. Now people don't like see, so like woo. Now, see, in a covenant, a covenant is between two individuals, or more, or two groups. And in a covenant, on both sides of that coin, uh, Brother Phil, there is both privileges and responsibilities. Amen? Now, you cannot, as a Christian, just be interested in the privileges. The covenant, for your covenant to work for you, you have to be as equally interested in your covenant responsibilities as you are laying hold of the blessings. See, and this is why God covenanted to do certain things for his people, yet they don't have it, because they are in violation of their part of that agreement. Yeah, Christ did it. He won it. He purchased it. It'll never be unvalid because it's between Him. But there's still some things we have to do like believe and exercise a degree of obedience. We've got to be right about certain things for the covenant to work for us. I have covenant responsibilities as a Christian. And as I do my best to fulfill my covenant responsibilities as a Christian, then when it comes time for me to lay hold of one of the things God's promised me in that covenant then I have an unwavering, unshakable faith that it's mine. I'm not wondering, is God, am I one of God's special? Will He decide to heal me? Does God heal ever? It's all in the covenant. In a sense, when you get in a covenant with someone, you have them over a barrel. You know, let's, let's just say hypothetically that Deacon Philip and I, uh, we come into a covenant over equipment. He likes my tractor and doesn't have one. I like his boat. I don't have one. We'll say, okay, listen, we're going to make a very limited covenant here. When you need my tractor, come get it. And when I need your boat, I'm going to come get it. Well, when we, if we agree and we go through the ceremony and we, and we, we make the compact, and then I say, hey, third uh, sun, Sunday afternoon in March, I'm coming for that boat. Well, if he decides he wants to take it out that day, he can't. I got him over a barrel. He's either going to fulfill that covenant responsibility or he's going to be a covenant breaker. Does that make sense? Well, what if I change my mind? There ain't no changing your mind after you're in a covenant. That's right. That's not supposed to be. Amen. And people join the church and they make a covenant and then they act like they changed their mind. They have hands laid on them. We receive them into covenant membership. It's a holy thing. And then I was thinking about one precious girl, and I haven't seen her face in six months. I think she made it a week with me after we laid hands on her. See, she's in violation, and she doesn't think it a big deal because she's an American. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't think it's a big deal. People treat church membership so lightly, but God does not. So we need to change the way we think about it. It doesn't mean we're going to be brought into bondage. This is not a cult. You've got to keep things in balance. Our doors are unlocked. This is an honor thing. But people are missing out. They're in violation of God's plan because he put them in a sheepfold. He gave them a pastor, and that person's not being faithful to it. Mhm. Hallelujah. I had a precious man years and years ago. I was out at his place and uh, he uh he said, "You know, I tied 600 dollars a month to this church. Therefore, I have a right, I have a say on how things go." <laughs> now, he's probably a good 40 years older than I am. And the Bible says Paul told a young Timothy, "Be respectful as a young pastor. How you speak to men that are older than you, speak to them as dad, speak to them as father." I didn't get uppity about it, and I just said, "Mr. So and so, listen, I appreciate your $600 a month. I really do, but everybody's a tither here, and they don't. You know, I didn't give you a voice with me. Give it, keep it. That's up to you. But you don't. You don't have a right to." Really, he was protesting who my spiritual father was because my spiritual father had a nice gold ring and he flew in on a jet. And I just said, in no uncertain terms, not with a smart-alecky voice, just with all kindness, I said, listen, you just need to know something, Mr. So-and-so. As so much as I appreciate you and your fellowship in the church, I need him in my life more than I need you in my life. And that's the way it's going to be. And he goes, you know what? You're right. I'm wrong. I think that's what happened to me one time in like 20 years. You're right, I'm wrong. He just totally changed his old attitude about it. But people have all kinds of weird ideas about it because based on their experience and past teaching and experiences in their church dynamics, right? And, uh, and they just don't think in line with the word. They don't think in line with the word. Hallelujah. So let me real quick, I don't know if you have anything to write with you, just want to go back, and really each one of these could be a sermon series, but I'm just going to rattle these off. Let me give you some traits of a covenant-minded man. I mean men or women, people. One of the traits of a covenant-minded man is they are loyal. They are loyal. L-O-Y-A-L. You know, it does not matter what kind of disagreements I may have with Dr. Jacobs, and I have a few. I would never voice those, really. I I would never do anything to undermine him, make him look bad. He is an authority and a father in my life, and it's my job to honor him and be loyal to him. I'm not running around chasing after other networking connections to help increase my voice in the body of Christ. I'm loyal to Him. God put Him in my life. God put Pastor Nancy Dufresne in my life. And those are my, those are my two supplies. And I don't care some some bigwig in the body of Christ comes along. Like Dr. Savell. He's a precious man. And, and, and there's a divine thing there. But He's not my spiritual father. He doesn't get my tithe. I'm not going to give him what belongs to Dr. Jacobs. Reverend Richard Roberts. I'm glad to know him. He's a precious brother in the Lord. I appreciate what God's doing in his ministry, but he's not my spiritual father. If you're covenant minded in this church, you're loyal to this church. Amen. You're loyal you'd be loyal to me. Yeah. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Amen. Not, not in a hero worship kind of way, but just in a good, honorable way. Loyal. The second trait is of a covenant-minded person, they're faithful. See, if I'm covenant-minded, then I'm faithfulness-minded. Yeah. I'm not going to be hit or miss. Uh, I made a commitment to my church and to my pastor And I'm going to be faithful to keep that commitment. When it's easy and when it's hard. When I'm excited about it, when I'm tempted to be bored out of my mind. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, and I mentioned this. If you're covenant minded, you're an honorable man. You're an honorable person. You know, honor's got to walk and honor's got to talk. And we need to learn how to do both. I, I am very conscious. I, I can talk. I can talk. I can probably talk with the best of you. There's a few of you could out-talk me. But I can talk. And I, I know some things from the Word, and I like to talk about what I know from the Word. But Dr. Dufresne, he taught us when the generals are present, the lieutenants have nothing to say. So when I'm around the generals in my life, I've got nothing to say. I'm not out to get over to them my newest and greatest revelation. Because they've already got it. They got that revelation 35 years ago. They're not impressed with that revelation. When I'm in the presence of Pastor Nancy, I am the student and she is the teacher. And I give her that place. It doesn't mean that I can't share something with her. I have done that. But I don't dominate I'm not interested in dominating that conversation. God has something for me through them. And if I'm dominating the conversation, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get it. Amen. When, it's amazing when people get around me. Sometimes they've even set appointments with me. Like a week out. And then we sit down. And I've taken time. I've prayed to be ready to be a blessing in that meeting. And they sit down and say, what could I do for you? What's the problem? I said, well, I, you know, I, when I made the appointment, it seemed like it was real important. But... You know, right now, I don't really know what to say. Well, inside me, now, outside to them, I'm smiling. But inside, I'm slapping them for their disrespect for my time. Because I gave them this time slot when someone else who actually needed to talk to me about something could have been sitting in that chair. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, I'm honorable. I'm honorable toward my spiritual parents when they're around me, and I'm honorable about them when they're not around me. They are safe with me when they are not with me. Well, are your brothers and sisters in Christ in this church or anywhere, are they safe with you when they're not, a, when they're not with you? Am I safe in my family? Are we safe with you when we're not with you? What do you say when someone at the restaurant says, you know what, you know how we all, well, you know we love Pastor Chris, but I, I'm concerned about la, 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 and then whatever. What do you say then? Well, then we'll find out what kind of honor you have, what kind of covenant mindset you got. And again, none of us are perfect. Another trait of a covenant minded man is that they're committed, they're committed. Amen. You know, most of the people, when they float in, they float out. You know, it's, it's that kind of person. They don't have that mindset. A lot of times they're just babies, and it's not a big deal. Hopefully they'll grow out of that. But, you know, like if a Ma- Reverend Marilyn were to walk out on the church and, not, and, and just be gone? See, that's unthinkable to me. That is unthinkable to me. Is that, is that even in the realm of, can you imagine this church without Reverend Marilyn? I, well, how do you get to that place? By being committed year in and year out when it's good, when it's not good, when it's fun, when it's not fun, when it's popular, when it's not popular. And everybody can break into that kind of circle. People have said, people have come from the church, this has been one of the things we get with some frequency. It just seems such like a tight-knit group I can't get in. Well, that's not true. We are a tight-knit group. Amen. But we're covenant-minded, and we're not sure about you yet. If you'll show yourself to be all in, then you won't have a problem getting in. And I don't play favorites. I don't have favorites. I don't have this inner circle that some people have accused me of having. Some people are closer to the the office and to me because I need somebody to be close. Amen, that I can trust some things with. But everybody could be that person if they were worthy of that. And you're not going to get that because you came to this church with some regularity for two years. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's see, what else did I write down here? We're having so much fun. (laughs) I wrote down a few things here about what a covenant-minded man is not. And this goes outside of the church dynamic. But a a covenant-minded person is not a homewrecker walk out on their family, walk out on their wife, walk out on their children. You know, I'm a covenant-minded man in my marriage. I'm not looking for somebody younger. We're going to defy all age and gravity and all that together, aren't we, honey? But I'm not look, looking for the newest, younger model out there. She's not perfect, but she's perfect for me. Amen? You know, a covenant minded person is not fickle. They're solid. They're solid. Someone who's not covenant minded, they have a personal agenda. They're out for themselves. Mm hmm. Yeah. They are living to advance a selfish agenda. Praise the Lord. What direction do I go? I could go a lot of different directions. Well, praise God, let's, let's, let's go this direction. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we won't be able to go much further, but we'll, we'll get into something here. And again, we should be covenant-minded toward our employer, covenant-minded toward our children, covenant-minded to our brothers and sisters, covenant-minded in our nuclear family, covenant-minded with our pastor, covenant-minded everywhere we go. Amen. And it'll elevate and bless your life. Amen. To, be, to think like that. Now, be ready. People will betray you. They're not gonna, you you're going to be covenant-minded, and they won't be, and they'll violate you and take advantage of you, and you're just going to have to decide right now, like I did, because I heard Dr. Jacobs do it. He said, I made a decision that I'm going to forgive everybody on out into my future because yeah. I'm going to meet people that are going to do me wrong, they're going to do me dirty, they're going to let me down, and I forgive them in advance. Amen. But it doesn't change me and how I'm going to be. I'm going to be a faithful, covenant-minded person. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Because, listen, this is how God is, and, and we're to be like Him. We're to be like Him. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18, it says, But now God hath set, or hath God set, the members, every one of them, does that include all of us? Every one of us in the body as it has pleased Him. So, this word set in the Greek means to appoint, to lay, or to place. And so, God has taken your life and He has set you, He has put you, He has appointed you a place in the body of Christ. Now, the body of Christ is corporate, amen, meaning all brothers and sisters in Christ in heaven and on earth are all members of one great body. But he's broken that dynamic down into local families. If you do a study of the word church or assembly in the New Testament, those terms will, you'll find them nearly, 85, 90 times, I I didn't look up the numbers this afternoon, on a a very small percentage of those references to the church, to the body of Christ, to the assembly, will refer to the corporate body. The vast majority of them, like over 70 of them, it's like 75, 80% of the references in the New Testament to the church is addressing a local body. So we're not just put in this mass of the whole corporate body. That is true. But God has placed each one of us in a local body. And for the vast majority of Christians, that's how our Christian life is primarily lived out. In a local body. And it's vitally, vitally, vitally important to your life that if you're not 100% sure that this is the place that God has set you in the body, that you get before God on your face and find out, if it's not me, who is it? If it's not WHC, where is it? Because if, if you're not in place here, you're out of place here. Now understand this. If this is your place and you let the enemy trick you And you get familiar and you get, you know, so many, they get familiar and they get carnal and they get opinionated and they become critical. They let the devil force them out of their place. But if this is the place you fit, then you will never fit. You can go here, here, there, there, better preacher, more anointing, prophet so and so. It won't matter because you fit here, not there. So once you find your fit, you have to stay there. The Bible says in Ephesians that we are fitly joined together. Do you all remember I did this a few years ago? I've only done it once where I brought my son's Legos in here. And the Greek word fitly is the Greek word Lego, L-E-G-O. And so if you think about one of those intricate Lego sets, they come in a box and they come in bags and they have an instruction manual. And they're just a bunch of individual pieces. One's a triangle, one's a a, a rectangle of four dots, twelve dots. One's a circle, one's a this, one's a that. In and of themselves, it doesn't mean much. But as you open up the directions, you with me? And it's going to say you take this piece and you connect it to this piece. And then you take that piece and you connect it right there. Then those individual pieces are now fitly joined and they're in their place. If they will stay there until the whole thing is complete... Then you realize, oh, i got a Tonka truck, or I've got a Star Wars spaceship, or here it is. Yeah. But see, if we just start taking pieces, well, this piece, I don't like being in this. I'm tired of being in this piece. I want to be on the top side of the ship. I don't want to be the tire. I don't want to be the exhaust pipe. Yeah. And you start taking pieces off, well, pretty quickly, it's going to be dysfunctional, disjointed, and unattractive. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And so you got to be covenant-minded about your fit. See, there, let me tell you about a person in a group who, who knows keenly the power and the importance of finding your fit and being covenant-minded about it. And that's the devil and demons. And that's why the local church has been so hindered and handicapped is because he gets fitly joined people out of their fit by getting them offended or distracted or busy pursuing other things. And they're not honorably bringing their supply faithfully to their local church. And it hinders the vision. It hinders what God can do. See, in covenants, most people come into a covenant because they have a weakness that they want to be strengthened. So in that example earlier, his weakness is that he didn't have a tractor. And my weakness is that I don't have a boat. But when we come into covenant together, his weakness is negated and so is mine. So a pastor, when someone says, you know, Pastor Chris, you're it. I heard from God. I prayed about it. You go through all the steps. I agree, and I've joined the church. Well, I had a weakness, and now that weakness has been mitigated because you promised to bring your strength, your anointing, your talent, your prayer, your service, your finances, your presence. And now a weakness has now been made a strength. And then the person who came didn't have a pastor. They didn't have a shepherd. They didn't have anointed someone looking out for their souls. And they were weak in that area. But now because they got one, now that place is now a place of blessing and strength. And the devil knows this. Do you? You've got to keep fresh in these things. So you have a set place in the body of Christ. Look at uh, in this chapter, toward the end of the chapter, verse 27. says, now you are the body of Christ and members in particular... Now, you know, he's not talking here about the corporate body of Christ. He's writing to the church at Corinth. So those that are reading this letter, they're thinking, I'm a member of the body of Christ. I mean, he's talking about right here in this local dynamic. And when he says one's the eye, one's the, one's the leg, one's the this, one's the that, he's meaning right there in that local dynamic. He's not talking about the broader context of the the corporate body of Christ, the universal church. talking about the local church. Amen? Well, look. Now, notice it says, And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, now, every entity in this list, uh, these, are not, these are ministry gifts. It's different. It's similar to the list in Ephesians 5, but it's different. Because instead of naming all the offices by name, he lists some of the offices by a different name. He lists them according to their equipment. So we, one of the offices that's missing in this list is, it appears it's the evangelist office, but it's not. It's in there. The working of miracles and the gifts of healings. is equipment, amen, that is not wholly unique, but it is very specific to the evangelist's office. Amen. You don't see the word shepherd or pastor in here, but it's in there. I said it's in there. Anybody want to tell me where it is? It's in the word governments. It's in the word governments. Amen. And then you have teachers and all the other offices represented there. Hallelujah. Well, this is interesting. This word, governments. This is a list of ministry offices. There's errors that, and they come up all the time in waves, and people rising up saying, This is how the church ought to be organized. Listen, there is no set, clear prescription in the New Testament given on how a local church should be governed or organized. You can't show it to me. I can't show it to you. No cookie-cutter approach. This is how the mature, developed church ought to be organized. People have all kinds of ideas and opinions. But see, I agree with Brother Hagin. Brother Hagin said, it seems that God blesses uh, churches in spite of their church government, not because of it. God blesses the Baptists in the way they've structured their church. People are getting saved. No doubt to a great degree, disciples are being raised up. Communities are being blessed. There's a shining light. And yet their form of governance and organization is very different from mine. And yet people are being saved here. People are being discipled here. People are being blessed here. So God blesses, amen, churches in spite of their government, not because of it. And yet there are some overarching principles that we need to understand. For instance, people will come along at different times and say that a local church is out of order if it's not submitted to apostolic authority. That's bunk. If if the apostolic office, if church government centered up in the apostle's office, you would need the word governments in that list the word apostles are already mentioned. It says first apostles, secondarily prophets, then it goes on and mentions, mentions helps, and then it mentions governments. Well, governments is not the apostle's office. Whatever governments is, it's not the apostle's office. Therefore, governments is not centered up in the apostle's office. Are you hearing me? Well, then people come along and say, well, you've got to have a prophetic voice that your church is submitted to. Well, God set the prophet in the church. And we need the office of the apostle. We, of the- we need all five of the ministry offices to be fully well-rounded and equipped. We need them all. But governments does not consist, nor is it centered up in the prophet's office. Because prophets is listed and governments is separate. Uh, the Greek word governments is kubernesis, kubernesis. And uh, let me advance in my notes here. I've got all these uh, definitions here from Greek dictionaries. The Greek dictionary for uh, in various ones, not just one, defines governments or kubernesis this way. It is a steering. So whatever governments is, it is a steering. It is a pilotage. Those, in this one, I'm quoting a Greek dictionary, those that act as guides in the local church. Well, who's that? This stuff's not hard to figure out. A pilot, it means a pilot. A a English transliteration of kubernetes is this word, directorship. Not dictatorship, but directorship. Amen. It means the helmsman, the captain, lordship, dominion. Well, we know that all of that is not in the local church. It's not the apostle, is it? Cannot be. It's not the apostle, is it? Cannot be. The helps ministry is already described here by gifts of healings and working of miracles, so it can't be that. It's not helps. It's not teachers. There's only one other office left. And it makes perfect sense. Where does the government, the headship, who is the one, uh, you know, we know it's described as a flock of sheep. We are sheep in God's pasture. Well, who directs? Who guides? Who steers? Who's, got the, who's at the helm of a flock of sheep? Say it in the Amplified. Say it like you know what you're talking about the shepherd. Amen. So, not a board of elders. Not a board of deacons. Amen. Listen to this passage. The church... Of the book of Acts. When you read, see people go to the book of Acts and they're looking for church government. Saying we need to go back to the church of Acts. Well you know let's say, we need people say it about in our country, we need to go back to our founding. Well what do we mean about that? Well in terms of our adherence to the constitution. That yes we should. Back to the morals and integrity of our nation, yes. But I'm not going back to no electricity. You want want to go back to that? How about you gun owners? You want to go back to just black powder? No, the nation has progressed. Right? I'm not going back to just a wood stove when I can have central heat and air. There's progression in the nation. So yes, so when we look to the book of Acts, say we need to be a book of Acts church. Well, in doctrine, absolutely. In sincere love of the Lord Jesus Christ, In sincerity of faith, absolutely. In spirit, in the fear of the Lord, in signs and wonders and healings and miracles, we need to go all the way back to the book of Acts. But not in government. Not in structure. The church is 2,000 years in its development. And there are people that rise up in the body of Christ and say, we need to go back to an infant church in its organization. We need to go back to home church, house church. And you see these movements pop up every 15, 20 years. Happens all over the nation. And they all come to nothing. Because God's not in that. Now people will say in lists like Ephesians and in lists like 1 Corinthians where we read, God has said in the church first. They're going to say, see, that's rank and that's authority. That's not right. The, they listed these ministry offices, not in the terms of rank of authority, but in their presence and operation in the in the at the outset of the church. When the church was born, what was the only ministry office they had? They only had the office of the apostle. They only had the twelve apostles of the lamb. That's all they had, right? So obviously they were. Key players and in charge. Then, as you read the book of Acts, what other ministry gifts do you see emerge? The gift of the prophet. And then we have Philip's example. But the pastoral office took time to develop. So, these great apostles, as they followed the commission, they went into the four corners of the world. Paul went to Ephesus, Paul went to Corinth. Paul went to these different places, and they raised up works. And they had supernatural equipment with them and on them as apostles. But then, notice, as an apostle, they didn't camp out there and rule that local thing. They had to go. See, the apostle and the prophet, they're called to the whole body of Christ. They're more of a traveling minister. Teachers travel. Evangelists travel. There's only one office that lives with you. There's only one office that stays with sheep, night and day, and it's the office of the shepherd. sure I thought you were talking about being covenant minded. I am, but you got to know, you got to understand about some of these winds that want to blow through and confuse everybody. I'm not the I'm not the dictator here, but I, I do have the directorship. Jesus is the chief shepherd, according to Peter in 1 Peter 5. But he addresses feeders of sheep under shepherds, referring to pastors. You see, Paul did not write the word pastor for the first time until he wrote that letter, the letter of excuse me, Ephesians. And that didn't come to the body of Christ until about 62 years after Jesus' death. So a lot of times what Paul would do and other apostles would do, they would raise up this work, but then they've got to go on and and go pioneer another work. So they would appoint elders. And these just were seasoned, older men that had maturity about them. You know, a 60-year-old man's not going to make the mistakes a 25-year-old man will make. But as the pastor's office emerged and pastors were raised up, then they began to take their God-ordained place in the body of Christ. And to say that we should go back to the blastula stage, the infant stage, the, that we see in the early, early, early decades of the body of Christ is error. Pastors have a place. And every one of us should have a pastor. Everybody, you out there. Yeah, you. Well, not, these guys are preaching the choir. We're talking to you out there. Anyway, and I'm, I'm almost finished here. But The church of the book of Acts was in its babyhood stage when it came to church government. I have heard some say that we must return to the church of Acts, and such a statement is valid when referring to doctrine and the supernatural, but not church government. We would all agree that a return to the morals and the values of our nation's founding fathers would be a good idea, but not returning to their military weaponry. The fivefold ministry offices were not established in the early church as they are today. It is the pastor of the modern-day church that is to have the rule over the local flock. There is no scriptural support for a board of deacons or elders controlling the pastor concerning the decisions of the church. Elders were to oversee the church until pastors were trained to take over that responsibility. The deacon was to serve the pastor in the ministry of helps. If we return to the government of the early church, we would be throwing away 2,000 years of development and growth as a result of wrongly dividing the word of God. Amen? Bear with me for just a couple passages and then we'll, we'll stop. You see, you can't be You know, why should you be covenant-minded toward a pastor if you don't really have the revelation that you need one? Right? Amen. Now, I happen to be submitted to prophetic authority. Dr. Jacob stands in the office of the prophet. So does Pastor Nancy. Right? So you can say that some of these dynamics are at work. But Pastor Nancy and Dr. Jacobs are not telling me what color to paint the wall. Or how to structure my children's ministry. Or who to appoint as leaders uh, in various departments of ministry. Neither should they. They don't call and demand a pulpit saying they have a word of God of correction for our church. And yet they are vitally important ministry gifts. Amen. Amen. Alright, did I tell you to go someplace? Go go with me to Jeremiah three. Just real quick. God wants you to have a pastor. He never He never not wants you to have a pastor. So I've had people come and say, Pastor Chris, the Lord's told us to leave. Well, I have nothing to say when you said the Lord said. Because who am I to fight against God? And people have learned that trick. But you know, it's dangerous to say the Lord said if the Lord didn't say. And they'll say, well, the Lord told me to, uh, uh, to leave. I said, all right, praise God. Where are you going? Who's your pastor? Oh, I have no idea. So God's called you to be one of the 99. To wander out there among wolves. That's real scriptural. Give me scripture for that. You, can't, you don't have any. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, I'm just Abraham. He's going to tell me where I go as I go. Okay, yeah. You're a real special person. Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 14. Now God's speaking through His prophet and says, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you. That's covenant language. And I will take you, one of a city and two of a family, And I will bring you to where? I wrote my church. That's the local church. I wrote my Bible. Zion is Old Testament typology for the church. Amen. Not in its literal fulfillment, but as a type. So notice it said, I'm going to bring you to church. That's what God said His prophet. Now look at this. In verse 15 it says, And I will give you apostles. Is that what it says? Y'all tell me if I'm reading this wrong. And I will give you prophets. I'll give you evangelists. I'll give you teachers. I'll give you TV preachers. I'll give you YouTube prophets. He said, I will give you pastors according to my heart. And what will they do? They will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And it shall come to pass that when you be multiplied and increased in the land. See, that's what's going to happen to you. But what ministry office did he mention? Amen. Now go to Jeremiah 23. I've had people leave me and say this. Pastor, you're a great teacher. I know you're a pastor, but I just have this hunger in me to be around the prophetic. So I'm leaving to go sit under the prophetic. Doesn't that sound so spiritual? Well, it doesn't sound spiritual to the enlightened one. I appreciate prophetic ministry. We have prophetic ministry here in the church. We have prophetic ministers come in and minister. Amen. Really what they're saying is, I'm attracted to the sensational. And you're not sensational enough for me, Pastor Chris. And that's fine. That's fine. They go and I well, all I do is judge the fruit. And if they're any better for leaving, I don't know. The one I'm thinking the one that the very one that told me that. Well they do, they break their arm, they this, they nothing really special going on in their life. Uh, they've had two or three churches they've called home since they left here, and last I heard they don't even go to church. So how prophetic are they? How fruitful was that? See, I'm just judging the fruit. All right. All right, Jeremiah twenty three. Verse 3 and 4, God again speaking through his prophet says, And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries whither I have driven them, and I will bring them again to their folds. We read this Sunday. Their folds. There's a fold you and I belong in. Amen. And God says, I will bring them to their folds, and they will be fruitful and increase. Same language. And I will set up shepherds over them and they shall feed them, and they will fear no more. See, if you're properly connected to my pastoral ministry, fear will get driven out of your life. Amen. And not just me, any true pastor. But, you know, let the church let the churchgoer be, beware and be warned. Because Dr. Dufresne and, and Brother Hagin spent their, the large part of their adult lives going to church to church in America, thousands of them and their mutual assessment was that over 50% of those local families were not headed by a true pastor. Amen. Amen. Pastors, the real pastoral office is not a diamond, diamond dozen out there. You can't be one just because you graduated from a school and got a certificate. God has to call you. God, you can't anoint yourself to any office. Amen. Amen. God said I'll set up shepherds over them. Did he say he would set up apostles over them? Did he say he would set up prophets over them? Did he say he would set up teachers over them? Did he say he would set up rabbis over them? Did he say he would set up bishops over them? Elders over them? Deacons over them? What did he say he would set over them? Sheep need a what? A shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. Amen. See, this is why a, a one standing in the office of the prophet cannot pastor. Because a prophet is called to the larger body of Christ. He cannot just stay there in that one locality. But a shepherd will. See, a shepherd lives with a sheep. You know, when you read John chapter 10, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And he said, I'm the door of the sheep. Now, when a uh, when a literal shepherd of literal sheep got ready to bed down for the night, he would create for them, the shepherd would, he would set up a large hedge as a circle around the sheep of thorns and brush and rock and stone to make it difficult for predators to come in and prey upon the sheep. But he would leave a small gap in that circle and the shepherd would sleep in that opening and he said any other person that comes in except through the door is a thief and a robber he said a real shepherd gives his life for the sheep he stands there in the gap he is with them he is standing watch over them he is guarding over them he is praying for them he's feeding them the word of god he's visiting them talking to them he knows what's richard roberts doesn't know anything's going on with you but a pastor does and he lives with you and he dwells with you and he knows your issues and he loves you anyway. And The Bible says a real pastor will give his life. He lays his life down for the sheep. In other words, he's going to say, if you're going to get to them, you've got to come through me. And see how precious is having a pastor. We're not just talking about in the natural. We're talking about demons, and de- demonic attacks. Do you have someone hedging you about every night? Do you have someone sleeping in the opening of that hedge for you and your family every night? There's only a pastor's called to do that. Apostle's not called to do that. Teacher's not called to do that. You've got to have a pastor to do that. You've got to have a shepherd to do that. See, I think we've heard pastor, 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 pastor in America, and we don't know what a pastor is. The word pastor means shepherd. That's what it means. If you look up the word pastor in Ephesians 4... Amen. That's the only place it appears in the New Testament. You look at the Greek word, it's poimen, and it means shepherd. A pastor is a shepherd. What is a shepherd? Who's got the oversight over a flock? The shepherd does. So when Paul says, Take heed unto the flock of God and to yourselves, uh, you know, the, you know uh, the, with the Holy Ghost has made you overseers of the flock. Well, who's got the oversight of a flock? Pastors do. Who's the when the Bible says feed, feed, feed my people, feed my sheep? Who's he talking? Who's got the who's the job is it to feed the sheep ongoingly? That's the pastor's job. This stuff's not hard to figure out, and this is a holy thing. It's a divinely assigned thing from headquarters. God assigned me to Paducah. That's why I'm here. And if you're here, not because you just wandered in but because you really feel like God set you here then you and I are in a holy divine covenant together and we need to be covenant minded about that divine relationship i'm not your oracle i don't want i'm not here to make all your decisions for you but i'm a feeder and i'm a help and the bible says in hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 that that we should you know, treat well the ones that have the oversight over us, have the rule over us, and to make sure that it's a joy for them to oversee your soul. Amen. He said, because if you didn't, that would not be profitable for you. So see, it's profitable to have a pastor that's overseeing your soul. That's why God says, woe to the shepherds when they don't do it right. When the sheep are scattered, when they're sick, when they're defeated. When they're taken advantage of. Amen. Let's go. We're going to go one last place and I'm done. It's 8.30. We've got to get out of here. Are you getting anything out of this? Praise God. Now, don't get me wrong. God has set all five ministry gifts in the church. And he set you in the church. And you have a a supply to bring to the church. And it's not just a uh, take the trash out supply. It's it's not it's not that. You have a divine supply, a prayer supply, a faith supply, a gift of the Spirit supply. We're all important. Amen? We're all important, but God does have government. God has invested the oversight of the local church to a ministry office, and it's not any of those gifts other than the pastor. Now, do I have elders? Of course, we've got seasoned people who know God, have a great prayer life, and do I have help and assistance? You know what I mean? In the uh, in the pastoral the pastoral oversight and care? Of course I do. I only got one pastor. Amen. Only got one shepherd. Amen. Amen? What do you call a two headed? two headed that you call it a freak, right? You call it a monster. Yeah. Praise God. Now again, I think my leadership team would tell you I don't just I don't just stomp my foot and say it's gonna be my way around here. I try to build consensus. Nobody gets to vote, but I'm not here to dictate things to everybody. Hallelujah. All right, where'd I say? We're going to go Matthew 9. We're going to read this, and then we're going to stop. Glory, glory, glory. Praise God. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Anybody have an amplified translation? Elizabeth does. Let me borrow that. Let's look at this from the Amplified Translation. Matthew 9, verse 36. So Jesus is in the hillside. He's looking upon the multitudes of Jerusalem. And in verse 36 in the Amplified, it says, When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary. They were scattered like sheep having no shepherd. I think this must be the uh, the new amplified. Oh, I read the King James. I'm sorry. Yeah, when he... Yeah, thank you, it's a parallel. When he saw the throngs, he was moved with pity and sympathy for them because they were bewildered. They were harassed and distressed and dejected and helpless. Now, uh, as a child of God, you interested in your life looking like that? I'm not interested in my life looking like that. I don't want to be harassed bewildered, distressed, dejected, and helpless. Amen. How praise God. It's so precious to see a family come into the church. They get planted in the church, and they don't think right, their money's messed up, they don't have any spiritual power, Uh, they're not even skillful with their inheritance. Maybe their marriage has difficulty, but they get in. They're sitting under the ministry of the pastor, and God starts putting things back together again. Amen. And and things start turning, and things get put back together, and their family's sweet, and their kids are coming up, and and they're praying prayers, and they're getting answered, and and their money's coming up, their health's coming up, their mind's not as squirrely as it used to be. Praise God. There's some soundness about them. There's some peace about them. There's some authority about them. And then all of a sudden, they get familiar, and they get bored, and they get distracted, and they start... I'm just not getting fed around here like I used to be. You better watch out. And people forget where and who and in what setting that God used to change their life and put their life back together again. Glory to God. There's there's few things, I don't think there's anything more powerful on this earth right now today than the local church. Don't ever let the enemy push you out of your place in the local church. But notice the language again. This is Jesus. Now Jesus is the epitome of all of all things ministry, isn't he? Isn't he the apostle? He's the highest example of an apostle. He's the good shepherd. He's rabbi, the teacher. He is the prophet like unto Moses. If there's anybody evangelized for God, it was Jesus. So he is all of them. So he could have said anything here. He could have said anything here. But he said he looked at God's people and he looked at their condition and it was not good. And what ministry office did he make reference to? He said they look like sheep without a shepherd. He did not say they look like sheep without an apostle. He, he did not look at them and say if they only had an elder board, they'd be alright. They only had... A group of deacons that could tell the pastor what to preach on Sunday. Even as important as teaching is, he didn't say, as ignorant people without a teacher. He said, as sheep without a shepherd. I count it, I didn't ask for it. I was minding my own business pursuing a career in medicine when God dealt with me about a call to ministry on my life. I didn't ask for this. I'm not here because I was ambitious for it. I'm called to it. Amen? And we are fitly joined together. I'm not more important than you. I'm I'm not more valuable than you. I'm not more precious in God's eyes than anyone. But I have a part to play. Amen? And let's just let's get all the benefits and blessings out of what God intends us to have in the local church dynamic. And let's not forfeit any of it because of ignorance or because of our carnal nature. Let's be covenant-minded about what God's done and doing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Bow your head. Father, we thank you so much.